Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wounded Blue Hour here on the America Out Loud Network. I'm your host, Randy Sutton, a 34-year police veteran, the uh, author of A Cop's Life and several other books, as well as the soon-to-be-released Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety, and also the founder of the Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. I welcome you to this show. It is dedicated to the mental, physical, spiritual well-being of America's law enforcement community. And uh, I've got a great guest waiting for us in the waiting room, but before we bring him in, uh, I'm going to do what's called our reality check, where we memorialize those officers who have given their lives in the line of duty since our last show. And unfortunately, we have a couple more names to read. The first is police officer Chad Swanson of the Manhattan Beach Police Department in California. Police officer Chad Swanson was killed in a motorcycle crash on the 405 highway at Del Amo Avenue. While on his way to work at 5.15 a.m., a vehicle struck his department motorcycle after another vehicle made an unsafe lane change. The impact threw officer Swanson off of his motorcycle. He was transported to the hospital where he died of his injuries. In 2017, despite being wounded at the Route 91 Harvest Country Music Festival, he repeatedly ran into the crowd, bringing people to safety. Officer Swanson has served with the Manhattan Beach Police Department for 13 years. He is survived by his wife, three sons, and parents. Police Officer Chad Swanson, Manhattan Beach Police Department, California, end of watch, Wednesday, October 4th, 2023. The next is Deputy Sheriff Tucker Blakely of the Knox County Sheriff's Office in Tennessee. Deputy Sheriff Tucker Blakely succumbed to gunshot wounds he received while responding to a domestic violence call in Knoxville. At 11.30 p.m., deputies encountered an armed subject after receiving a domestic violence call. Uh, the situation escalated. A gun battle ensued. Deputy Blakely was struck twice. The subject was shot and killed by returning gunfire. Deputy Blakely was transported to UT Medical Center, remained on life support so his organs could be donated. Deputy Blakely was a United States Army veteran, had served with the Knox County Sheriff's Office for two years. He is survived by his wife, son, and brother. Deputy Sheriff Tucker Blakely, Knox County Sheriff's Office, Tennessee. End of watch, Monday, October 2nd, 2023. All of these officers gave their lives in the line of duty, protecting and serving. Now, but despite these, uh, these fatalities, since January 1st, 290 law enforcement officers have been shot in the line of duty. 290. It's an astounding number. It shows you that the violence towards law enforcement continues unabated. That is the reality check for America's law enforcement. But I want to bring something else up before we bring in our guest. The events of just days ago, where the Hamas invaders attacked innocent people in Israel, revealed a stark reality. And that stark reality is that more than 34 police officers gave their lives in the line of duty protecting their people there. So that's 34 cops, uh, hundreds of people 
probably thousands of police, but people injured and killed in this unprovoked, barbaric attack. And the reason I bring this up is because if you think it can't happen here, you need to rethink. Those 34 police officers were on the front lines of an invasion. Terrorism is waiting to happen in this country. We've had terrorist attacks before, and we will have terrorist attacks again. We just don't know the scope of them. But we do know this, that the open borders that have plagued this country under this presidential administration has allowed millions of people into this country. If you think that terrorists are not among that number, then you're very, very naive. And if you think that they're not planning to do harm to the people of the United States, then you are also naive. There will be an attack. It's just a matter of the scope of it. And America's law enforcement officers will be on the front lines combating the terrorists. It won't be the military. It'll be our police. And the reason that I bring this up is because America's law enforcement community needs to embrace what I call the warrior spirit. Preparing yourself for police combat is something that should be done literally every single day. Preparing yourself mentally, preparing yourself physically in, in your training. But preparing yourself mentally is vital. And we have had the warrior spirit denigrated by the pol political left, by, um, by weak police leaders who have just gone along with the program. And it, in the reality, uh, as we have seen from the names I just read today and the number of police officers shot in the line of duty, um, there are people that want to kill you if you are a police officer. That's your reality. And you better be prepared for it. And you better be prepared through the warrior spirit. Doesn't mean that you are a warrior 24-7. It means that you have the will to survive. It means that you have the will to fight back. It means that you have the will to protect the people that you serve. And you better be prepared for violence. That is the warrior spirit. And America's law enforcement community, I urge you to see what happened in Israel and realize that America's law enforcement community, well, you're going to be required to step up when a terrorist attack happens. Maybe in your small community, you don't know. So that's the uh, reality check for today. My guest today is Scott Medlin. Scott is a 15-year law enforcement veteran. He is the author of four books. He is a speaker around the country on uh, law enforcement topics such as post-traumatic stress, addiction, and the, uh, the challenges facing America's law enforcement community. He was recently a speaker at the uh, third annual National Law Enforcement Survival Summit held here in Las Vegas put on by the Wounded Blue. He acquitted himself very well, and uh, I watched him speak, 
and he is my guest today here at the Wounded Blue Hour. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Randy. I'm honored to be on the show. Really am. Well, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's interesting that the timing. We uh, we had our, our uh, third annual National Law Enforcement Survival Summit, which you uh, participated in as a speaker. Why don't you give uh, give the the audience a little feel for what you how you perceive the uh, the summit? Oh, I enjoyed it from the moment I arrived. Uh, I, I got to finally meet the angry Viking therapist, Dr. Trevor Wilkins in person and Jenny Hill and met you again in person, Randy. And I mean, it, a lot of welcoming people for sure. Uh, but when the program started, uh, of course, it started off the right way, honoring the fallen, uh, the color guard ceremony. But then uh, but then we dove right in with uh, Glenn Morshauer, uh, the actor, just uh, giving us a profound speech about the fact that you're so lucky to be alive, even though you're facing very adverse times in law enforcement, you're, you're statistically speaking, you are lucky to be alive. And uh, it's a, life is a gift. And he said, do what you can to make the most out of it and, and so much more. So I, I was, and then I was the first speaker after that. So no pressure, but uh, it was just amazing. <laughs> it was just amazing how attentive everyone uh, was, at least that's the perception I got. And uh, people were there to help each other out and learn on ways to grow and to keep uh, weathering the storm that, that we're facing right now, if, if that's a good way to put it. And uh, I was really, uh, by the time I left the next day, I was just, I was fulfilled. I mean, just this level of fulfillment, like th this is a great crowd. I'm glad I was a part of it. Well, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed and you did a great job. Uh, for those of you who don't you. know who Glenn Morshower is, uh, who are in my audience, he, you, you would know him if you saw him. He's a, a very prolific actor. Usually he plays parts as a military uh, officer or a law enforcement officer in pretty much everything that he does. Um, you'll know him from uh, Black Hawk Down, uh, from uh, doing seven seasons of the show 24 with Kiefer Sutherland. He is the general on the, the, the very popular um game uh called call of duty and he is one of the most brilliant speakers that uh, that i've ever heard and he graced us at the he was the first keynote speaker that we had at the third annual national law enforcement survival summit um so and i also want to want to let you know in my audience if you're law enforcement uh, or have been we're already in the planning stages for the fourth annual national law enforcement Survival Summit, which will be held in Las Vegas, September 26th to the 29th next year. That's uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And keep an eye on thewoundedblue.org. We're about to make that announcement and open it up. And you don't want to wait, uh, right? We don't. We don't want anybody to wait on this one, right, Scott? Based on the uh, the number of people that that uh, that came to the third annual. Yeah, get on it. Don't don't put it on. A, I should put this on my calendar. No, you must put it on your calendar. <laughs> Great. All right. If you would, Scott, tell us a little bit about your journey. You did 15 years as a police officer. You went through some troubled times and uh, it's led to your your present journey. Talk about um, what led you to law enforcement to begin with and uh, tell us a little bit about your career. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yes. Yeah, so as, as a kid, whenever I saw the police officers around, I, I just I felt more comfortable, more protected, particularly when they were at restaurants. I felt safer. Uh, but there were two times that my parents had to call police 
Uh, one in particular, a guy was going door to door in our neighborhood and I lived in a very small neighborhood and uh, he was going door to door and, and uh, he was getting like right up on the doors and he was looking in windows. Something just didn't feel right. I was a little kid in the garage waiting on my mom to come out to the car as I'm watching this man get closer to our house. And she and my mom walks outside. She notices him and then calls my dad and he says, call the police. And I just remember that feeling of I want the police to get here. And that feeling stuck with me. And then I watched this show, Cops. You might be familiar with it, Randy. <laughs> and I liked, uh, I, I really liked the show, Cops, and, and watching the police officers respond to calls in an effort to protect people whenever 911 was called. And at 15 years old, I went to a career fair in high school, and the recruit and the a recruiter from the police department was there. And then at 17, I did my first ride along. I was sold. I said, "This is what I want to do." I went in the Marines, though, after high school and ended up serving two tours in Iraq for Operation Iraqi Freedom. And then uh, finally uh, got out of the Marines, got out of college, and then I entered into law enforcement. And I, just like anyone else who gets sworn on day one, you're, you're so excited and you have all these dreams and ambitions. I was going to be canine. I was going to be a supervisor. And then I was going to work my way up to chief of police at my hometown, the police department. And that's what was going to happen. Uh, but little did I know, nor could I have ever predicted that I would be treated for an addiction and post-traumatic stress and then have a rocky marriage about nine years into the career. I, I never thought any of that would happen to me. And that's what kind of led me onto this journey. But what really led me to it was in 2020, after being on the job for 13 years, that's when I learned for the first time that more police officers are dying by suicide. I'm not saying it was a new thing. I'm saying that's when I had learned like 13 years on and it enraged me that that was the first time I was learning about that. And, and more of, and, and a lot of other officers didn't know about it either. And I said, no, we've got to bring this to the forefront. The fact that we're dying more by our own hands. And then I started uh, researching more about mindset and achievement and thriving. And I thought we're not being taught this stuff. And I've been on a mission ever since to enlighten officers about taking a thriving mentality all throughout your career, not saying things won't happen and challenges won't come your way. They will. But rising above them is where where, where you have to be. So you uh, you mentioned that you were treated for PTS and treated for addiction. Let's go into that in a little more detail. Um, you, okay. know, you were you were a patrol officer and you uh you began some struggles what led what what were those struggles and uh, and that led you to to your addiction issues yeah i was my first year i was excited but then all of a sudden i noticed a lot of officers around me not all of them but unfortunately there was a group of negative officers that uh they were pulling me in i was letting them negatively influence me and i started to grow this negative attitude towards my hometown police department and I quit. I quit. And, and a, a, I mean, just a year after working there and I went to another police department. I mean, it wasn't even three months into it. I realized a huge mistake I had made and I felt so miserable with how I was at that point. And I wasn't happy with myself. And unfortunately, it led to uh, an, an addiction. I, I didn't know any other way to cope. And I begged to come back to the police department that I had worked for. Uh, but that's a process. Uh, fortunately, they took me back. But I didn't, I, I didn't know any healthy ways to cope with the rotating shifts, the things I would face. Uh, and it led to quick coping mechanisms such as my addiction. And I, it's embarrassing to say, but it is what it is. It was to pornography. 
it only lasted six months because I, I immediately stepped up uh, a few months into it and just got help. Like I was like, I can't keep doing this. Uh, so I, I got help and I, because I realized it was an addiction. Uh, but mm. I, I was just upset with who I was as a person. And I, I didn't really know how to cope with things considering the demands of the job as well as battling an addiction. All right. You know, let's go back to your, your earliest comments in this, um, that you were surrounded by negative people who dragged you down. This is a bigger issue than I think most law enforcement officers um, uh, give give credence to. The, the right. negativity is contagious. Um, I mean, I, I remember when I first joined my police department, my first police department, it was only a 30 officer department. And I was the youngest guy on the department. I got on way too early. I was 19 when I, when I joined. And the closest to my age was late 20s, early 30s, and they'd already been on seven, eight, 10 years. And, and they didn't like the fact that I was, I, I was a hard charger. I'm brand new on the job. I, got, I, I wanna stop everybody and, and arrest everybody and take everybody to jail and write everybody a ticket. And I was working my ass off, but there was a, a huge amount of negativity in some of those older jaded guys. And that can be devastating, especially when you're a young cop, when you think everybody has got that same drive that you do. Was that the same type of thing you went through? A hundred percent. And it was almost to some of them, it was like, how dare you be happy? What is wrong <laughs> with you? <laughs> and I just, and and I didn't know at the time that our brains are built to focus on negativity, all in innate wiring of survival to help protect us. That's why the news covers nothing but negative things, because it's like it knows we're more inclined to pay attention to that. Uh, and our and our brains aren't built to make us happy. So it just negativity can be all too consuming because it doesn't take a lot of effort. And uh, that's exactly what I was going through. And they they got to me big time. Now now fortunately. When I went back to my hometown, the police department, after being grilled for an hour and a half on an oral board in or interview, to which I fully deserved, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I didn't let those negative officers get the best of me. I mean, I remember the first day back, one of them was having an issue with his computer and he looked at me and he said, you should have stayed gone. You'd have been a lot better without this place. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I just I just smiled ear to ear because I had a different perspective. And uh yeah, it's well. Uh, you you it, found it, out that the grass wasn't necessarily greener on the other side of the fence. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And when the chief swore me back in, he said to the mayor, he said, "You know, Mayor, I walked across this field to get here to City Hall, and I noticed some of the grass was green, some of there were there were some <laughs> dead patches, and you know, I realized some of the grass wasn't as green as other parts of the field." And it, he was making fun of the whole grass isn't greener on the other side, to which. I took it all in stride, learned my lesson, <laughs> and and for the remainder of my career, I did my best to be uh, inspirational rather than that, you know, negative officer. Am I am I saying I was perfect at that? Absolutely not. But uh, you definitely can't have that negative mentality. It's it's not the way uh, we should live either. Yeah, no, you're 100 percent right. But and 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 a reason I'm I'm continuing in this in this portion of our conversation is because it is so important to realize how negativity can affect us. The cynicism that we can develop, the, the jadedness, um, it, it, it can be a, destru a destructor of careers. 
as well as your personal happiness. So it's something that that we really need to be guarded against. You know, Dr. Kevin Gilmartin wrote the most amazing book, Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement, where he it, he talks about the physiological reactions to being a cop, the the adrenaline dumps, and and how it affects our mental uh, acuity and and our emotional stability, and and uh, you know usually around seven. To, to 11 years in a, in a career is where police officers really start developing negative, you know, a negative personality. They become cynical and, and it, it can have, a, it can ha it can destroy your career as well as your happiness. Oh, a hundred percent. And not only can it destroy your happiness, but let's face it, it can really affect your job performance. And you don't want to be that liability out on the street. And particularly nowadays, there's people filming. If, if you are in a negative state of mind, a negative state of being, and you're having a bad day, you call officer to make the rest of the officers out there in the country look bad because you're having a bad day and it got caught on camera and your job performance was affected. I mean, this, and don't say it can't happen to you. That was my problem in the beginning, uh, particularly with the negativity and the addiction. It was just denial. Like, well, this can't happen to me. I'll never be that way. And, and I, I, I dropped my guard. I mean, you can't be that way. Nobody's bulletproof from the effects that the job can have on you. Amen to that. So, so you, uh, you came back to your old department, and is that where you finished your career? I worked there for 11 years uh, after I came back, and then I, I finished out my career just a year and a half as part-time officer at a small university. I only left for family reasons and to pursue the the, uh, the work I'm doing now, speaking across the country. I, I, knew, I knew that uh, I wouldn't be able to do that uh, working full-time in law enforcement, but also, uh, like I said, fa family came first, and it just, unfortunately, some damage had been done where I let the job consume me about 10 years into the career, my wife and I just grew so far apart. And uh, I realized I was at, I, the damage had been done. And uh, I realized at that point, I, I had to leave for the sake of my family uh, so far as canine and then uh, wrapped up my career after working part-time. But rather than working in law enforcement now, I'm working with law enforcement and I've been able to play a part. And that's that's meant a lot and um, it's full steam ahead. All right, let's, I, let's, let's talk about that time in your life. So um, you, you made a choice. You made a conscious choice that my career or my family. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's a really, really hard choice to make. Um, I mean, what, what, was, what was happening with you internally that you realized you couldn't be a cop anymore? The first mistake I made was I let the uh, job of working a canine, as a canine officer, to which I had dreamed about working as a canine officer for years, uh, I let it become who I was. Like my happiness was based on that job. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't present to my uh, wife and our one-year-old son at the time, like our baby son. I just, I just wasn't present. Like when I was home, I was, I was either hypervigilant or just planning for the next shift. I just wasn't present at all. And then, uh, yeah, it, it, it came to a point where my wife said, uh, basically, it's either me or the job. But she was like, I'm going to do everything on my own. Like, I, I don't need you. I'm going to do everything on my own. And I realized, oh, my gosh, I, I've gotten to a point where I never thought I'd, I would get to as a person. But I did, and I had to address it. I was really having a hard time, though, just walking away from what I felt like was a, was a calling and a passion working as canine. 
but for me, a friend of mine who is a pastor said, your job is earthly. Your wife is godly. You have to make the right decision. And I did make the right decision. Was it easy? No. I had to go to counseling for a year after that because I let that job become my identity. But it was worth the effort. And, and I know I did make the right decision because I can tell you, Randy, uh, when I left the department, I only heard from like one or two friends <laughs> at the department, but I still have my family. I know people say department's family, but I, I can test that a little bit or ask people to think really hard about how much that that is. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it was it was definitely a tough time, though, but it was worth the effort to put my family first. Yeah, that's there's there's so much to this conversation. Um, I've got to take a quick break. Stay right where you are and we'll be right back with you. pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Out loud. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. One Nation Coffee. One Nation Coffee. Patriotic, 
uh, veteran-owned, uh, very, very good coffee. I w actually went down and visited their roasting facility and met with the folks down there, uh, John and his crew, and they are amazing people. The coffee is delicious. You order it online, they bring it right to your house. You can get the ground coffee, you can get beans. I like to grind my own. They've got uh, also got these, uh, you know, the, the containers that you put in your Kerrig or whatever that thing is called. So um, One Nation Coffee, go to onenationcoffee.com, order your coffee, and uh, you'll get great coffee, and you'll be supporting uh, a patriotic company that supports the Wounded Blue. So uh, go to onenationcoffee.com. Oh, I want to tell you about another company that supports the Wounded Blue and also does, uh, does something really important for America's law enforcement community. Uh, it's called, and, and I love this name, OfficerPrivacy.com. What exactly is it? So um, it is a company that is law enforcement owned, uh, only staffed by current or former law enforcement officers, that is really important for officer safety. You know, this show is dedicated to the mental, physical, and spiritual well-being of America's law enforcement community. We have to protect ourselves. And that's what OfficerPrivacy.com does. There is an immense amount of information about you on the Internet. You can be found very easily. Your home address can be found. And now more than ever, we have to protect ourselves. We have to protect our families. And what OfficerPrivacy.com does it actually goes into the internet and searches and searches and searches all these sites that have personal information about you and they remove it. It is, I mean, when they showed me how easy it was to track me down and know where I lived and know the cars I drove, I was shocked. And uh, then uh, it took a while, took uh, several months of very, very, it's a very labor intensive process that they do. But they got rid of all of that on the internet and scrubbed me off of that, the, that personal information. So go to officerprivacy.com. It's not expensive. They make it very affordable, uh, and especially for the amount of work that they do. Um, they're a great company, huge supporter of the Wounded Blue. In fact, uh, Pete James, the owner, was at the Law Enforcement Survival Summit as well. So go to officerprivacy.com. Now... I want to tell you about something else. I, as the founder of the Wounded Blue, you know, we're a, we're a charitable organization. We're a nationwide charity that helps injured and disabled officers. But we're, we have to go, we have to, you know, depend on donations coming in, donations that I hope that you will help participate in. But we just did an amazing partnership with the country music group Ricochet. And I got to tell you, I love these guys. I love these guys. Heath Wright is the uh, band leader and the founder of, of the of the group. Um, they were huge in the late '90s. They they're probably their biggest hit was your your daddy's money, your mama's good looks. Well, they just came out with a brand new CD and show their support for the Wounded Blue. The only place that you can get this CD 
is by going to adoptacop.com. That's adoptacop.com. Do a $20 donation in the Wounded Blue, and you will receive this, their brand new CD. And it is great. It has a lot of their old songs that they're redoing, and I think they sound better today than they did back in the 90s, quite honestly. I've gotten to know, know the band well. Um, Heath and I were uh, just in uh, Nashville together at the Grand Old Opry where he performed and, and Ricochet performed. Um, and then we were on uh, uh, the Mike Huckabee show to talk about our relationship. So go to adoptacop.com and do that $20 donation of the Wounded Blue and get this great CD and also help out our organization. So just another, another day in the life of the Wounded Blue, getting to hang out with really cool people like Heath Wright and the band Ricochet. All right, let's uh, let's bring our guest back in, Scott. Uh, let's let's continue this conversation. So, you did 15 years in law enforcement, and usually that's that's really close to retirement, and it's a tough decision to walk away from that. But you you evaluated what your career. Okay, on this end, I've got this career that I love. I love being a canine cop. But I've so invested in my career that I have neglected my family. And then you had to make this very, very dramatic change in your life. So when you made this decision to leave, how did it affect you? And then what was your next move? Oh, I didn't do well at all uh, the first year. Uh, like I said, I just let the canine job become so consuming. Like I thought that was me. Uh, it, it was my identity. And uh, yeah, so I sank emotionally. There was a lot of resentment uh, towards my wife. I had no idea what to do for the future because all I knew was canine. And I thought, well, this is all I know. What do I have to live for? Uh, I never became suicidal, but it just was a very empty shell. Uh, but then I, I, I got professional treatment from the same doctor who helped me through the addiction and post-traumatic stress disorder when I got home from Iraq. And uh, he led me to uh, really start to focus on the future and not dwell on the past. Uh, Can, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me stop you there because this is something I was remiss in asking you. So you did two, and you were a combat, you were a combat soldier in Iraq. Mm -hmm. um, Marine. <laughs> in, okay. So you saw, you saw, you saw death, you saw destruction, you saw death of friends, you saw the horror of war. Did you know when you came back from Iraq, did you know that, that did you recognize uh, symptoms of post-traumatic stress then, or did it surface later? Oh, no, they didn't teach us anything about how what we were about to see could have severe negative reactions or, uh, or effects on us at all, uh, per our how we would react to them, particularly if we relived certain situations. And there was one particular incident where I was almost killed in a close mortar fire attack on a convoy route that uh, I kept playing over and over again in my head. And I was essentially just reliving it. So the stress hormones that were fired off during that incident were still firing off just by me thinking about it. And I had to get treated a year later because I thought everyone else was the problem. And then my dad came up to me, he said, I'm losing you, Scott, and I can't lose my family. I've got someone who can help you, please. Uh, see someone, and, and I and I saw the person he recommended. Uh, so yeah, no, I had no idea. Wow. So it was 
so it was your father who recognized the symptoms of BTS and and you were you were open to getting the help though and that's a big that's a big deal being open to getting reaching out uh, to someone uh, especially you know when when we we equate therapy sometimes um, cops have a and, and military uh, equate that with some type of, of weakness so you were you were open enough to do it and it had a, a, a direct effect on your life Oh yeah, the treatment I got through neurolinguistic programming. I, w I mean, I went from flashbacks, not sleeping well, uh, hypervigilance to the thousandth degree to sleeping better, not having flashbacks. Uh, but there were some other symptoms that I still had to manage, and I still have to manage to this day. But it helped a lot, and that's what I. And, and if if I may, I, I beg anyone: if you're battling symptoms, hypervigilance, irritability, not getting sleep, which leads to other health problems. If you keep doing what you've been doing, nothing's going to change. And you weren't made to just settle for the for these miserable conditions, particularly the storm that's going on in your mind. Forget that. Uh, I recommend seeking professional assistance and do your research on someone uh, who you may be looking for uh, for professional assistance. It's worth it. A hundred percent. I want to talk about culturally competent psychologists. You know, mm -hmm. um, sometimes when when officers want to reach out for help uh, they don't think that anybody that hasn't been a cop has the ability to know what they're going through and and that can be a problem um, because the, the the it's the therapists that are that are dedicated to helping the police they don't necessarily have to be a cop or had to have Correct. experienced that and and so Sometimes we get pushback from from officers who say, "Well, they, nobody can understand me, except another cop." And I, I, and I caution against that type of mindset. The the therapist that you saw was he? A, did he have a background in law enforcement? No, not at all. He was uh, prior Air Force, but I mean, I was in the Marines. I was in law enforcement. I mean, okay, he was in the military, but he didn't even use his military experience to help treat me. He used his knowledge of the human brain <laughs> and me being a human in his office <laughs> and uh, to, to treat me. So no, I, I, I push back as well against what you were saying, Randy. Someone doesn't have to necessarily work in law enforcement to treat a law enforcement officer. How how long did you how long was was your treatment um, from from the initial you know your initial uh, uh, appointment uh, during the time when I was being treated after a year after getting home from Iraq yes yeah just two 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 and a half hour sessions that was it uh, and and uh, it really set the it lessened the the effects of the symptoms. Um, but I still have to manage some to this day. However, it was just a big weight off my shoulders just to not have to relive that incident over and over again. Now, was that talk therapy or was that some type of other, I think you mentioned neuro-linguistic? Yeah, no, I didn't have to really speak about the incident. It was basically just taking the emotion that was uh, surrounding the uh, incident, like me thinking about it, and I, I was reliving that emotion. There was he was able to help me program my mind so that there wasn't that emotion attached to the thought of it anymore. So I essentially wasn't reliving it every time I thought about it. Wow, 
important really important okay so yeah let's let's now fast forward you you had your your law enforcement career you made the conscious decision that it was that your your career was over that that you had to concentrate on other things and then you fell into another depression because of you had just lost your identity and you had resentment towards your wife for making you leave basically right well it it I, people say she made you leave. No, it, it wasn't necessarily that. Like I wasn't careful as to how I was being between the ears, thus leading to a conflict that in turn had an effect where I had to leave because mm -hmm. of how I became not knowing just how much law enforcement can take effect on your mental health. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I resigned from canine, battled that emotionally for about a year. And then I worked in the schools as a school, school resource officer with a more family friendly schedule and then finished out of the university. Um, but w what I realized was after I left law enforcement, I could take so many things that I learned and the experiences I had in law enforcement and apply them to life and helping others still outside of the job. And that's what I think a lot of police officers get scared about, whether they're facing something where they need to leave the profession before retirement or when they do retire, they, they, they get a limited mindset of this is all I know. What else can I do? You are more powerful. You are more gifted than you have than you have an idea about. Seriously, like you, what you what you can do and what you can be, and and uh, for many others, like that servant's heart can be applied in many other aspects of life. And for me, I've enjoyed having that servant's heart and expressing it through um, uh, speaking. I, I I really like the fact that you brought that up. Um, what I have found is that police officers. They, they pigeonhole themselves and they don't realize that by being the people that they are, they're, they are service oriented people and they have a skill set that is very unique. And that skill set can be applied in so many other aspects and it can, it can be a, a huge road to success. You know, you hear, you hear employers complaining all the time that that their employees are unmotivated that they're immature that they're they, they're they're lazy well cops you know you're, you're on the go all the time you're mission oriented and that is a that is a a huge skill and it is something that is um uh really um uh, sets you above many others when you're going for other career choices it, it, but it's it's interesting that that um, they don't equate those skills with employability once they are no longer a police officer for whatever reason. So let's talk about let's talk about um, your writing career. When did you write your first book? I came out with the first one in April of 2020. After you left the department. Yeah, no, I was still full time at that point. For a few more months, I was still full time, and then I went part time. Uh, I wrote the first one, like I said, because I was I was very enraged that 13 years into the career, I'm learning for the first time that officers were dying more by suicide, and I just said, well, I got to jump into this fight somehow to keep my fellow brother and sisters in blue alive, and just the thought uh, happened in my mind: write a book, and it was almost like, wait, where'd that come from? But I, I went <laughs> with it. And uh, yeah, I went with it and, and I've written three others since. Uh, but it's just one of those things where it's like we were talking about you can't pigeonhole yourself. 
I took what I went through in the hard times and put it on paper. Thus, there's a book to help others. Like you can't pigeonhole yourself. Yet you have a servant's heart. There's ways you can help out. Did you find that writing was also cathartic for you as well? It was very therapeutic. Absolutely. And I had already been, uh, when I was treated uh, for depression at one point in my life, you know, the psychologist said, you need to write down things you're grateful for. And sure enough, 30 days later, it started to shift my perspective. And I remember teaching about this at the Wounded Blue Summit. I, uh, I found that writing the book and the books I've written since are uh, absolutely helpful uh, in just getting a lot of stuff that's up here, that's cluttering up here, putting it on paper, along with offering solutions and steps uh, to others is very helpful, uh, not only for me, but it adds an impact to whoever reads the books. And getting on, well, first of all, actually writing a book is a massive intellectual exercise. Um, yes. Those, those who haven't done it or, you know, say, I wish I, I could write a book. The, the work involved in creating um, creating a, a manuscript like that um, is a massive intellectual exercise, as well as 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 well as a bearing of the soul. I mean, what you are doing when you're putting those words on paper is you are telling intimate secrets about yourself. Did you find that yep. to be a little uncomfortable? Oh gosh, I mean, heck! Earlier in the interview, I admitted what my addiction was. I mean, yes, it's it's really just kind of you got to get out of your own way and put it down on paper. And I speak about it openly. Oh yeah, yeah, it's tough. I mean, when have I or or you, Randy, or anyone? When have we ever become better people and stronger people because of easy things, <laughs> easy time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, uh, I I. I think about when I had the opportunity to meet and become very close friends with Frank Shankwitz, the man who created the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, I had recently retired due to my, my having the stroke in the police car. And I, right. was, I was adrift. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what, what the future held for Randy. And, um, and I, I literally didn't know what my next direction was going to be after being abandoned by my agency, after losing my career, my mother. And it was, it was a very trying time. And I happened to be watching television and I saw an interview with Frank Shankwitz. Most people don't know his name, but he's one of the, he was one of the most incredible human beings I've ever met. And he is the man who created the Make-A-Wish Foundation when he was an Arizona state trooper. Most people do not know that, that Frank Shankwitz, the, the creator of Make-A-Wish, was a trooper for 40 years. He had a law enforcement career no that spanned 40 years. And wow. his story inspires me to this day because he was able to create an organization that has literally touched the lives of millions of people worldwide. But it was born from pain. It was born from his being, um, him, him suffering the loss of a child who was dying of cancer. Not his child, but he was called upon to, um, to make, to, to, to be introduced to this, 
this uh, seven-year-old boy was dying of leukemia, and all this little boy wanted to do was be a cop. And so Frank was able to make that happen for him, gave him a little uniform, put him on a tricycle, told him he was a motor officer, and got him a, an official um, badge. And, and when he saw the joy that it brought this little boy, he realized that he could make other people's wish come true as well. But it was born from a deep, deep pain and sorrow. And so when we're facing adversity, and we're facing the challenges that we're all going to face, we're all going to face loss, we're all going to face challenges. But being able to channel it into a direction where you can touch the lives of others, which is which is your journey. It 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 can actually um, it can actually propel you into a new life, one that has even deeper meaning. Hundred percent, and opportunities and events and people you never thought possible in your life, meeting them, going places, uh, doing things, never thought possible. How how has um, this journey of your writing and speaking, you speak all over the country, uh, uh, about the topics that you're very passionate about. Um, what tell, tell the audience about what you do speak about. It's important. When I, when I speak to law enforcement officers mainly, I bring up the fact that we're human. You're, you're not some invincible warrior who fears no nothing and, and can't feel pain. Forget that. Uh, you're a person. And if you're affected by something, it doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It just means you're bothered by something and that's okay. But you can't let it affect you too much and, and stay there. So that's when I bring up, you need to know what is bothering you. So we have to have this level of self-awareness because law enforcement is obviously aware of external risks and external threats that can present themselves at any given moment on the job. But are you aware that thoughts between the ears could be just as dangerous, uh, particularly the fact that we're dying more by our own hands than being killed out in the line of duty. And then uh, obviously when you acknowledge you're human, you raise your awareness, then you have to take action. Like nothing changes for you unless you take action. And the thing is when you take action to strengthen yourself mentally, physically, spiritually, socially, there are times when nothing on the outside changes, but the fact that you start to perceive them differently and you attach strong meaning to them, Rather than what the heck is going on, you're saying, no, this is what's going on. This is how I'm going to be about it and react to it. Oh, man, that's where things start, to, where things can really start to uh, bring about feelings of, of uh, hopefulness and ambition and, and not giving up and stuff like that. So I, I talk about the action items that we can take uh, to strengthen our mind. And it's, it's, not, it's not rocket science by any means. Uh, certain things like meditation. Yes, I said it. <laughs> it helped calm our mind and uh, <laughs> When, when you start to actually get in the present moment and think about something you want to do with your future and you start to attach emotions to like a future event that you want to create, well, all of a sudden the past emotions aren't overruling you all the time. You're, wa you're waking up in the morning and thinking about what you want to do in your future rather than dwelling on the past. And that's what I learned personally. Uh, and there's many other things I speak about, but um, acknowledgement, awareness, and action are the, the three A's I like to go over. You know that you that is that is remarkably profound. Um, thinking about the future rather than dwelling on the past—that's yeah. Uh, yeah, that's 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 really that's really crucial. 
Um, have you ever experienced the, the law enforcement suicide of a friend? Not of a friend. I've had friends of mine uh, call me and say, hey, did you hear about this local LEO uh, taking their own lives? But since I've been traveling the country, I've had more officers than more officers, not necessarily that I like to admit, like an upsetting amount of police come up to me and say, I have a friend who killed myself. Thank you for what you're doing. Your, your presentation made an impact, but I had a friend who killed myself and I wish he could have heard this or, you know, yeah. this, this needs to be heard, stuff like that. It's just so, it's so shocking to me how many have come up to me and said, I knew someone personally who took their own life. It is, it is astounding. It seems like Mm -hmm. it, 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 I don't. I don't know a, a cop that hasn't had that experience. That if if they, if it if it wasn't somebody they personally knew, then it was that next degree of separation. Yes. Um, where can people find your books? Uh, they're all on Amazon. Yeah, uh, self-published on Amazon. So uh, I mean, I, I put them on Amazon. So it's like who doesn't have Amazon nowadays? So right. <laughs> they, yeah. they are there. And, and all, all four of them. But you can also go through my website, thescottmedlin.com. Thescottmedlin.com. I like that. Thescottmedlin.com. Um, Scottmedlin.com was taken. <laughs> I, I think I'd sue. Hey, um, to, to, to book you as a speaker, go to thescottmedlin.com as well? Yes. And you, you speak all over the country. I do. I've been blessed to speak literally from coast to coast, from the Atlantic to the Pacific. And I'm, let's see, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm coming back to Vegas in a few weeks. I'm going to be in Ohio. I've got Missouri coming up. I've, I've got many trips and it's just amazing to see that no matter who I speak to, whether it's corporate security or uh, county health officials or law enforcement, uh, it, people are feeling really stressed right now. And when I show them, look, acknowledgement, awareness and action and just some action items you can take that I had to take in order to work myself out of huge ruts, uh, the amount of thought that goes into the aspect of human potential really comes out. I'm tired of the survival mentality. I mean, law enforcement in particular, you're taught survive the shift, survive the career. But when you're in survival mode, you're pretty much in reactionary mode. You're doing what you got to do to get by. And our brains are innately wired for that all in an effort just to protect you. But let's start talking about thriving and growing as people and forget the whole, I'll be happy when I retire and that's when I'll start growing. No, 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 no. The time starts now to take action for your mental health because life happens to all of us and it's only a matter of time. And it's just, you need to be resilient and show up for you. Therefore, you can show up that much better for others with that servant's heart you have. TheScottMedlin.com. Scott, thanks for joining me here at the Wounded Blue Hour. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Randy. It's been an honor. Well, I can't believe how fast this hour has gone, but um, I want you to do a couple things for me. One is I want you to go to AdoptACop.com and get yourself a CD for 20 bucks that goes to the Wounded Blue. AdoptACop.com. The other thing I want you to do is I want you to go to thewoundedblue.org, thewoundedblue.org, and see who we are, see what we do, donate. If it's 10 bucks a month or 20 bucks a month, whatever you can do, please give generously. Now, for those who are corporate uh, or have businesses and you want to play a bigger role as a corporate sponsor of the Wounded Blue or sponsor one of our events that's going to be coming up, 
Contact me personally, Randy at thewoundedblue.org. Contact me personally, Randy at thewoundedblue.org, and, uh, and we'll talk about how you can play a role in helping injured and disabled officers across this nation. Now, I fully believe this, that most Americans really do care and trust in their law enforcement officers. But I'm often asked, well, Randy, I, I, I care about my cops, but I don't know how to show it. Well, I'm giving you that opportunity. I'm, the Wounded Blue is giving you the ability to show law enforcement officers that you care. And you can be a hero to those heroes. And sometimes I can tell you this, that that, that dollar that you spend as a donation to the Wounded Blue could profoundly affect the life of a law enforcement officer today. So go to thewoundedblue.org, check us out, see who we are, see what we do. And uh, if you're a law enforcement officer, have been, um, you want to start thinking about coming to the fourth annual National Law Enforcement Survival Summit next year in Las Vegas, September 26th through the 29th. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Randy Sutton. Thanks from all of us here at the America Out Loud Network as well.